0: Hey, before we kick off the episode, I'd like to let you know that nothing Sam and I say during our series on investing should be seen as investment advice. Each person has a different financial situation and what makes sense for Sam or me might not and probably will not make sense for you. We are not financial advisors and you should do your own research before making any investment. Know that all investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss. And always remember that if it sounds too good to be true, it is probably not true please enjoy the rest of the show
1: this is the wiser than yesterday podcast your hosts sam harris and nicholas farik digest the most interesting informative and topical books giving you their biggest insights we expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday
0: Hey there, listener, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico. As usual, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Sam. And for today's parts of our series on investing, we have just finished the book Angel by Jason Kalakanis, how to invest in technology startups, timeless advice from an angel investor who turned $100,000 into $100 million dollars it was a an easy read but i'll let sam give you a quick introduction as sam is uh, probably the best person of us two to speak about this
1: thank you very much nico uh yes as he said i've been doing angel investing for a while so it's great to read a real book about it and um <laughs> mm-hmm. he has a bit of a different take than i guess what i was doing but then the book is definitely aimed at someone who has a few million in the bank already um the mm. way he describes it he's like so if you angel investing is one of the best ways to make money, and you should be able to put like about 1 million of your money into it. And so the actual title is a bit misleading with 100,000 into 100 million, because actually he starts with like a 100,000 allocation into initial startups, and then he has like another 900,000 to invest into the ones that are working out really well to then turn it into 100 million. So despite the fact that it's a great book, it's a bit annoying that it's immediately a false claim at the start. Um, wasn't my favorite mm. moment for him. But then, like, Four Hour Work Week, also one of the best books ever, but stupid title and, well, false claim of a title, if you know what I mean. Anyway, what he talks about is basically how to find ways to get onto the cap table of a company, either through investing your money or working for a startup or advising a startup somehow. And basically, investing is the easiest one. And then how to get hold of startups and why they would come to you as an investor or how you would sort of find them and source those deals and how much time you need to allocate to it, which is a lot. He reckons you spend like three hours talking to each startup and should try and invest in like 40 startups a year and be talking to like hundreds of them. And then the kind of questions you should be asking in those meetings to work out which ones to invest in and what the signs are you want to look for in a startup, the types of founders, the types of markets or whatever. And where you should sort of focus your energies if you do have any expertise, trying to be slightly a generalist, but not like too much. And um like who might like give up on things, which was quite interesting. And I guess we'll go into all of these topics in a bit more detail. Then the importance of allocating sort of your amounts of money for different things, like how much risk you want to do into this area, like what your time horizons are for it. So um it has a nice framework that I do really agree with around um, you should talk to lots of startups initially and expect your first month to basically talk to like 25 to 100 startups and say no to basically all of them and get used to kind of talking to people and, and saying no because of, as soon as I start talking to people I'm like, you're awesome, great, I'm going to invest in you and then like, oh, I'm going away all my money straight away and um, I've got the rest of the year and I have not mm. got any money left and you really want to like be more selective and back like the best, best things having seen quite a few, but it's quite hard because they are like engineered to give you the fans are taught to give you FOMO, especially if they've gone to like white Combinator textiles. They'll be like, great, we've got this thing. It's, we're going to be closing our round like next week. It's We're already half full and uh, this is the valuation It's really high. And then like you'll find that like in two months, they're still like, okay, we haven't quite finished the round yet. It's like slightly smaller than we planned to be, but like, we'll still take your money if you want to give it to us. And you're like, okay, so you, you weren't about to close your round. And mm. so there are some things you can yeah. learn on that side, which is good and
0: let's maybe go through the book like step by step as in how do you become an angel investor from start to finish i guess throughout the book he assumes that your mm, net worth if you start angel investing is like five million yeah, bucks which and it's a great
1: place to start from but um obviously i don't think most people are there and we definitely want to like, exactly. make it so it's accessible to other people but like the general principles of talking to lots of people i think makes sense and the yeah, yeah. um the sort of allocation of like amount of net worth going into it also I feel kind of makes sense. But you can mm-hmm. obviously start with like basically hardly any money and put like 50 quid aside and use crowd investing. You definitely can't do direct investments into startups because they just have to like the legal documents and stuff. It's too much of a faff. And you're probably going to have like minimum like 5K, 10K personally. But you can join any angel syndicates and do like minimum usually like 1,000 uh, pounds or $1,000. So I'd say first level is crowd investing. Second level is angel syndicates, which is also a great place to get into these deals. So crowd investment, you have like Crowdcube seeds in the UK. There's, there's quite a few platforms where a company will list their company and they'll be raising around and you can basically put any amount of money you want into it and become a shareholder along with a bunch of other people from the crowd. And it's Mm -hmm. a great way to get involved in things. That's where I first started and it's really cool because you can kind of get into sort of brands that are growing that you want to support whether it's environmental or stuff and now when i go shopping for my lunch it's like cool i can get this protein bar from this company i invested in i'll get my my lunch from this company and i'll get like my drink from mm. that other one and it's like wow i get to like <laughs> i feel like i'm being How much did
0: you invest on average in these?
1: So i personally generally invested 500 to 1000 pounds in anything that i really believed in and Otherwise, I invested 50 to 100 pounds in things that I wasn't sure about. And I kind of liked the business area. I wanted to be able to see how they performed over the next few years and get their investor updates. And like I was interested, but I just wasn't convinced enough to like back it properly. And it's like, great, if it takes mm-hmm. off and I have like a thousand pounds in this, that's awesome. If I lose it, it doesn't matter at all. And I mean, still mm-hmm. with a thousand pounds, it was like, okay, I could afford to lose this, but I feel like this is probably going to... I had like something that made me believe that they would somehow have an exit, at least like I'd get my money back, although you have to be willing to not get your money back at all. And you also have to be willing to be the fact that like you're not going to see that money for like at least five years and hmm. maybe 10. I started investing six years ago. I've had like literally two exits in that time. And there's a few big ones now that are like they're going to exit soon and I might have to start getting some money back in a meaningful way which would be great. Nice. Uh, cause then I can start plowing that into more investments in like a bigger way than I have been so far. But it's, it's definitely like a longer time horizon thing of not expecting to use that money at all. It's not as liquid at all as the um, like trading stocks and shares.
0: And uh, okay, let's go. So that's crowd investing, right? Do you already also do a syndicate investing? Yeah,
1: so I've joined a few syndicates this year and they will generally have some form of investing thesis. It could be like a general syndicate. It could be Okay, we're specifically gonna invest in like this type of early stage startup with tax breaks or maybe there'll be like AI thing. So whichever one you're interested in, or maybe want to join a few different ones. And then and where do you find those? Angel list is the easiest one, because this is mm-hmm. full of them. But then there's also if you look in like your local area, there's quite a few in London. There's like a Bristol one, a Cambridge one, and um, there's like a LGBTQ one, that kind of thing around here and you can apply to join them. You generally might need to be classed as a sophisticated or high net worth investor, which means you'd have like a million assets
0: accredited. accredited,
1: So they often don't check, so you can just like tick the box. But obviously that the reason they do that is so you don't lose all your money. So if you are pretending to have like lots of money and then you do things where it costs you lots of money, you might end up with none quite quickly. So it is a risk doing that, which is why he does talk about the other options around you can do like advising for a startup or you can actually work in a startup working in a startup is like the least optimal one because if you're just literally you've only got one horse that you're backing and the point is you want to be like backing a thousand different a hundred different companies with hope that one (laughs) will take off but if you're just working in one it's a bit unlikely they'll be great but if you if you join like a scale-up that's already achieved product market fit the likelihood is that they will do well, but you're not going to get that many shares when you join them. In case you don't know what a scale up is, that's the one that's sort of probably been through their Series A, and their product is taking off. People really like it. It's just growing really fast, and if you can get in kind of early, that's great. But really, to get like a meaningful amount of shares, you want to be in the first like 20 employees. If you're joining a startup, but that means that you probably don't know if they're going to get product market fit. Mm-hmm. So it's always a bit of a bet. Yeah, but. I've certainly found in my angel investing that the ones that have done best are the ones that I've just really wanted the product to exist, even if before it's existed. Mm. And pretty much those are all the ones that I put the five hundred grand in sort of level amounts and they've all done well, <laughs> literally. <laughs> and it seems like a pretty simple framework as long as you then follow the other rules of check that the founders actually care about what they're doing and have some credibility to go and do it. And they have a plan and some other relevant team members that can probably execute on it, then it probably won't always be a winner. For example, Theranos, as in people can lie about stuff. Mm-hmm. But like Free Trade was a company that was just doing free investing. And I knew like millennials wanted to get into investing, but couldn't because you have like crazy fees on making an investment and it's different and not optimized. But just being able to do it on your mobile phone was like, this is obvious, it already works in America with Robinhood. just doesn't exist out here. I like, certainly risked the first time I put in on it because they was literally just a pitch deck and some guys and it took them like two years to build an app and I was not happy for the first two years of how long it took them and I was like, okay, <laughs> I think I threw my money away here <laughs> and then um, pulled it out of the bag and that's... Totally so how many
0: up. investments have you made?
1: On about 70 now.
0: Wow. 7 and, and so how much did you in total invest?
1: I think 30,000, 35,000. So... It's been about twenty of the sort of grand level, one thousand pounds level, and then fifty of like the fifty to one hundred pounds. That is, to be honest, more just um, an expensive subscription to someone's investor updates. That yeah, yeah. overall is going to pay itself back. Some of them will work out in like.
0: Yeah.
1: I figure that fifty to one hundred pounds will come back to me, but mm-hmm. it's not amazing.
0: How much of your net worth does he suggest to he look says, at? He like.
1: 5 to 20%, depending on like your risk appetite, really, which yeah. um, I guess was where I was at. So when I first started, I was worth about 300K. So it kind of did actually quite fit his mm-hmm. principle there. And,
0: and so you've been doing it for six to seven years. Mm-hmm. How much do you think all your investments are worth?
1: I think my investments are currently worth about 200,000. Nice, K. that's good. And obviously a sizable amount of that is from the ones that have done the best. And I do think that they've got another like two to 10x growth in them mm. from how they're performing currently and it's pretty cool As in, like you see the ones that are doing really well and they're like the ones that have like the tube ads and tv ads now and they've got like proper product market fit business market mm. fit kind of thing and like they're growing like crazy and you're like okay good so i feel like my investments if i stopped investing now should probably end up i reckon being worth about two million conservatively i think 500k Optimistically, maybe twenty million, <laughs> but probably not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, still, it's pretty good. Like conservatively, five hundred k from thirty k, that's mm. pretty decent. Let's maybe talk about the math that he describes in the book. Let's say hundred angel investments. How many do you expect to do bad, to do like average, and to do really well?
1: Yeah, so they say basically expect ninety-nine to fail, but but realistically, it's more like maybe fifty to to sixty will fail, and a lot of them will kind of grow, be okay but won't be able to achieve like the billion dollar exit, but they'll exit for like 30 to 100 million to Apple or someone. And you'll probably get your money back like a little bit more. And then ideally one of them will be the Airbnb or the Uber of your portfolio. And they will be huge and they'll return like a thousand times X what you initially invested. And they're also the ones that you want to probably recognize that they're doing super well and want on invest. So he, he talks very importantly about the fact that you should never invest in someone that won't give you follow on rights or preemption rights, I believe it's called. Whereby, basically, let's say your first investment is 5K and the company's worth like a million, you've got like 0.5% of the company or 0.05%, does not matter. But basically, what happens is the next investors will come on, they'll take 20% of the business, and then I'll do another round, take 20% of the business, and you'll keep on getting diluted and diluted. But if you know that they're going to grow really well, you want to keep on not getting diluted. So you want to invest more money. So that's why you invest your initial 100K, but you've got, well, on his math, it's like you invest 100K across a bunch of different startups, but then you follow on with like your million or, well, your like a few hundred K into one of those as it's doing well. And that's going to cost you more and more each round as that business grows. So I'll try and stick to one. Because I'm talking about his 100Ks and then my 1K and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm totally messing this up with the description. But to make it easy, let's say you put £1,000 into a company. It doubles in size. They want to give away 20%. You need to um, invest, I guess it's £400 to maintain your thing because the share price is twice as much, but they're giving away 20% of it. So um, you need to kind of keep on investing kind of more amounts into that company to retain your amount of equity which basically they'll have a cap table and they'll pay you your preemption rights and you'll just get told the amount to invest. And it's not so hard. It's just important that you have that right because of basically any investment, they make the rules up as they do it. They'll, they can change your class of investment, like shareholders, whether you have like voting rights or the right to follow on. or um, Also, if they don't have a great exit, they'll have terms around who gets paid first. So Like the lead VC investor might have better terms being like double their investment. They get paid before anybody else, including the founders or you. Mm. It's called the liquidation um, preference. Yeah, exactly. And so you want to kind of check that some angels just don't give a shit about liquidation preferences. They basically, they only care about like the Uber that works out and returns so much money that they don't need to fight for the ones that sort of maybe sell at a lower valuation they first invested in etc um, whereas other angels care more about that i would obviously prefer to have better investment rights for sure where possible but the one that he says is the most important is just the ability to invest again later which i'm not 100 percent sure that's the most important because of still the best investment you made was the first one in that company because if that company gets like a thousand times bigger even though you get diluted by maybe 70 percent it's still like 300 times bigger than your initial investment whereas any of your further investments won't be quite so much but if you know it's a winning horse and like you can put your investment in absolutely certain it will 10x uh that's like which you never one. yeah but you get to the point where you're like 90 percent certain i guess if the company's doing everything correct or maybe 50 percent. i think he, I so basically
0: know. what he says is he says like let's say you have a 500k to invest, which is first of all like a lot of money because this is supposed to be like 10% of your net worth. So Mm. you you already have to have like 5 million of your net worth. Anyway, so he says 500k to invest. He says do like, what was it? Like a few tickets of 25k and then you keep the rest as follow-on investments. But I think the math checks out because in the end, when you're angel investing, you're usually the first money in, right? Yeah. And so basically the company usually hasn't proven anything and no VC and venture capitalists are professional investors who know the industry and who are able to really help a company. They don't want to invest yet, right? So you're, you're literally saving them because they need money and you're like, okay, I'll take a bet on you. Mm. And the moment that the next round comes, so let's say you've done the the seed investment, that's like one of the the first rounds, if they're doing a series A and you have pro rata rights which means that you have the follow-on rights or like the first refusal. At that point, mm-hmm. there's a VC who's leading the round, which means that at least the VC already believes in it and they'll be able to help. And I think there probably a lot of money is made by doubling down or as he calls it, even sometimes quadrupling down where you would invest. Yeah. Like his first ticket would be 25K and then his next ticket would be like 400K or something crazy like that. Mm. And so he would not even keep the same percentage, but he would like double his percentage because he's, he's investing like extra if he's able to. That's, that's what he sometimes does when he's yeah, super yeah. convinced.
1: And like often the starter will do that because they're trying to fill that round as quickly as possible. And yeah. they go to you first to ask for money, but you can be like, okay, cool, I'll actually give you four times more than what you're actually asking, which is nice because yeah. then they get to be oversubscribed and they can close quickly and they like that. He also does say that actually later on in rounds, companies go do like a Series D, and mm. like you might actually want to sort of start being more careful at this point, mm. even though they're raising this money from VCs who are expecting to get like a five ten x return you might want to start like taking some money out and being a bit more careful depending on how you're feeling about it because um, at that point, there will be someone that's probably willing to take uh, maybe a quarter of your shares or half of them. And if that's become like a really sizable amount of your portfolio, you could actually sell some of it, start investing that in new startups. Whereas at the Series A level, that's the point where like it still doesn't have a crazy valuation. They'll be worth like 30 to 50 million as a startup and there's still a lot of room for growth but by the time you get to series b series d when they're worth like a billion dollars or something in it already you're like okay maybe they're not going to become worth massively multiple multiple billions so it's a bit riskier actually investing like too late on and the same with like sort of stocks and shares you're not too sure but then equally you have things like facebook people sold at the ipo and it's carried on to get like 30 times bigger or whatever than it was then mm-hmm. so um it depends on your belief in the company and things. But yeah. in terms of the amount of money variability, it can be a nice one to take yeah, some sure. out a bit earlier.
0: All right. So basically the book summarizes, it says like, okay, you're trying to make a lot of small bets and keep some money behind you or in the tank or some dry powder, as they call it in the investment space. So you can, you know, double down on the ones that you like and that are doing great. From the hundred investments that you make, you're probably going to have like 50 or 60 that don't do well. Then you're going to have, let's say 20, that do average and then you're yeah. going to have a handful that are going are to do like three four five x and then maybe if you're lucky you'll have one that does like 10 20 50 or maybe a hundred x or a thousand x yeah if you're extremely lucky and so that's what he actually did so he had he invested in uber that's his thousand x and that's basically his claim to fame i guess yeah uh, and
1: well it was someone else as well it was like in his first five startups two yeah, of them yeah. were like the biggest ones he's ever invested in so since then he's put his whole framework together and not done. Quite amazing. Yeah. yeah I anyway,
0: let's go into like some of the things that he says in the book.
1: Yeah, the ones that I took most notes on were like his investing principles around the questions he sort of asked himself. So he writes his own investing memo each time, mm. and he says that's really important of like why he passes or why he accepts these founders, and then also the questions he really wants to answer during an interview with them and Mm. I thought those were probably the best things that I really want to like take with me (laughs) as a going forward as an angel investor. What were your your thoughts
0: on the fact so this fifth chapter is do you have to be in Silicon Valley to be an angel investor and that chapter has one word and the answer is yes what do you think of that?
1: No I think back maybe 20 years ago when you first started perhaps yes it was certainly harder but it wasn't impossible to be an angel investor in other places Maybe it was ten years ago, but either way, with the rise of like crowd investing and more angel syndicates and just more startups everywhere, as in the first accelerators were were in YC, and I said YC in in like Silicon Valley, whereas now like the startups everywhere. So I think Europe, Asia, it's kind of fine, and actually in some ways, almost the opposite. Like uh, Latin America, there's like a lack of investment and so startups don't have so much ability to raise capital straight off the bat so there's more opportunities for like the early stage investors to the point where like you can get them to being kind of big where they can then raise more institutional money so you might actually even do better there uh however i do really want to go to silicon valley and be like okay let's just see what it's like with a million startups around but you can There's going to be plenty of unicorns outside of Silicon Valley these days.
0: So maybe there's a few more places where, you know, a lot of unicorns will be created. But for example, so I live in Belgium. Here in Belgium, we literally have two unicorns, two companies ever that made it to a billion dollar and it took him like super long. And in general, I kind of agree with what he says. I think still Silicon Valley for now is probably still, especially for Westerners, the best place to invest. I think like, for example, Sam, for you. You're not shooting yourself in the foot by being in the UK, but you probably would do better if you were in Silicon Valley. Yeah. And I definitely. think in general, this this book is all about like math, right? Every ticket that you write, every small investment that you make gives you a chance at a moonshot basically. Yeah, um, And so I think that's one of the reasons why you want to make things in your favor as much as possible which means that i think for for you Sam you would probably like be even more successful if you be in silicon valley which obviously mm. doesn't mean that you're wasting your time going you to be successful uh, in the uk
1: yeah definitely he doesn't talk so much about other things you can do to be in your favor around well one thing he you makes know, a good point on is to sort of always like post on linkedin or like write a blog about why you're invested in things mm. and it just sort of shows that you're a bit more credible as an investor and people also know that you're going to write about them and Mm -hmm. so they're more likely to go to you first that's one Mm -hmm. thing but certainly i think you can do a bit more in the area of well obviously he wrote a book about it all by running a podcast and things on investing and generally being in a place to sort of help people so one thing you can do for angel syndicates right is if you find a company that you think they should invest in and you write their investing memo for them they'll give you some of the carry so you get free carry without the investment but you can do that for like four or five angel syndicates which means that you're kind of being like the person that's sort of leading for a bunch of things so you can sort of actually get a lot of investments under your name you can say that you're like can get them deal flow and things and people will know that you've been able to get like 100 investments of like 200k into startups and things and you sort of get a bit of a name for yourself Mm -hmm. so that's something i'm starting to do now at the moment is um Mm -hmm. a lot more investment memo writing for people I'm trying Good to get practice as well. Yeah, yeah. And get some more money than I can give them myself directly as an angel yeah. because I'm not ever going to be able to write checks bigger than like five, 10K until I get some, it. Some them money some... back from yeah, your exactly. first investment. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
0: Which no, I'm looking forward cool. to. Yeah.
1: yeah. So we, we are hopping around a little bit. I'm going to have to apologize. I uh, could have planned this better myself and totally drank a lot of coffee just before this. But <laughs> I was Wait, saying, You should have or you did? Did.
0: Oh. I don't normally drink too much. So, so apparently this is Sam when he's over caffeinated. Yeah, mm-hmm. like
1: I'm tired, but also caffeinated, and I have lots of things on. I'm like, oh my god, angel investing, all of these things. I'm so excited. <laughs> right. All right. So he says you should write for every startup you see. You should take some time to write out why you invested or why you're passing. And the four questions you want to really answer for yourself is why has the founder chosen this business? How committed is this founder? what are the founder's chances of succeeding in this business and in life in general? Cause you kind of want to back people that you just feel are going to be winners and maybe be on good terms with them. If they fail, you maybe invest in their next startup, which is something I've kind of done before and, and worked out really well. And the final question is what does winning look like in terms of revenue and return? Because some people run a really nice business, but you're like, okay, but what's it actually going to return? Hmm. And, um, Actually this this didn't do so well for me because of one of my investments is one of my bigger ones now, but initially um Oddbox, they do uh veg boxes where they get food that would go to waste, so like hmm. surplus stuff for supermarkets and they send it to you. And when I invested in them, they had like three postcodes they delivered these boxes to. They were tiny, they were super cool, lovely people, and I was like, I love saving waste and vegetables, I really hate waste. And I only put 500 pounds in, which is like the small of my, like, I believe in them thing. Mm. And I just didn't see how they were going to get that huge revenue in return, which is stupid because it was such a good brand. They were doing such cool things and like the people were great. And like now they're huge. They, across all of London, they across like Bristol, a few other parts of the UK, they've just done their latest series, like 130 million valuation. Really? And um, so I follow and invested, took my preemption rights uh, at a full level so it's still been okay but like <laughs> i did hedge my bets a bit on that one because i was like i just didn't see how it could be huge because it just seemed a bit like i do not see how there's going to be enough waste but actually since talking to the founders like well they've done a really good job of sourcing stuff and like they've actually got some much bigger plans as well in terms of a bigger tech platform in the long run that's going to reduce waste in other ways and um really believe in their huge mission and I, th- I would love to see them become like a billion dollar company but who knows nice.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I love these startups where you you really believe in their mission and their vision. And and you know that they're so focused and they're just going to make it work, whatever it takes. That's also like one of the key takeaways I took from the book is that he talks about, you know, founders need to be really hungry. And because when they're successful, at some point, they're going to have the possibility to just take, let's say a, a 30 million check and just peace out. And you want to avoid that because you want people who are visionaries like Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos who are going to, you know, have this vision and are going to drive their business and just change the world. And so, yeah, I think uh, that's really important.
1: Yeah. I know a few companies where like the founders sort of had the option to like sell some of their shares when they were doing the round and they they took like a few million off the table and sold some of their shares and then just bought nice houses and Mm. lost energy to actually bother doing anything. Mm. They just didn't really care about what they were solving yeah Uh, exactly sucks and that goes into what his questions are so you want to understand the founder so like he says the first questions you ask when you have a meeting with them is kind of actually a bit more of a focus on like the founder so the one is like ask them what are you working on which is like it's a nice focus on the founder like how they're proposing it rather instead of what your business does which most people ask sort of what are you working on so so you get a bit more of like what their emotions are behind it and why they're trying to build it rather than just like your product does x it's like okay i want to change this in the world this is why i'm doing this and you get a better understanding of their real motivations but then you dig in further with your second question which is why are you doing this and so bad answers will be things like okay we think it won't make money because a different company doesn't do this mm. or like just a general anything that's got like a lack of vision or low Quality um answers or, or just like a casual like acquisition? Yeah, yeah, isn't good. And a good answer is something personal. Like this has been a problem for me in many ways. Like I really want to change this. It's a, this industry is is wrong, and like I really need this to exist in my life, or like it's going to really benefit the world. And I've always wanted to change the world in this way, etc. Is cool. Then the third question is why now, and why they think that it will succeed now and not earlier or later, and what the importance is of whether they should get their first or wait and just understanding what the state of the market is in and if they can really explain how the market works and why it'll work now that shows that they actually understand what they're doing and then the final one is what is your unfair advantage and mm. it generally to have something so if they say like we're great fans we know the industry is like okay do they have a phd in this area or Do they have something kind of credible achievement in that area? And most people think they're good, but then like, that's okay. They're a good software developer. They don't really know exactly the industry or something. Obviously, there's a few people who have broken this rule, like the fans of Uber, for example, or fans of Airbnb. They didn't really know the businesses they were going into. But for the most part, actually, usually the people that change things do know what they're doing Um, or they have like a different unfair advantage that isn't the industry expertise side. But those are the questions he wants you to ask, like straight away, to get an understanding. And then, like the next half of the meeting is more of like the tactical, of like, okay, what's the execution? What's the go to market? Who else is in the team? How does mm-hmm. the business model work? And you should also ask the founders, like backstory, like what else have they done? Have they been trying different things? Did they just work at corporates for ages, not trying mm-hmm. to lives and stuff, and just sort of work out more about them?
0: How timeless do you consider this book? My question is basically, how Lindy is this book?
1: I think I'm going to say 70 percent timeless. In terms of the specific like you know words, and nuances of what he's talking about, like the actual numbers, for example, is, I think, more relevant to like sort of previous times and not like five years ago Yeah. Hmm. Like the specifics about Silicon Valley is not 100 percent accurate. And the changing wave of startups as well, because like, there was a lot less back then. And like the investment space is getting super busier which is one thing that you can't really account for so much in this book but also like they're just expecting there to be a lot more unicorns coming in the next years because there's so much more more accelerators just the amount of like ai and other kind of areas to kind of differentiate in are growing and just ways for people to make money so there are expecting to be more volume of opportunities but then like there's also going to be more of a race to get capital in and because of like the race to get capital in startups there is like the issue of like overfunding of things and like a lot of bad ideas coming on like just getting funding and people get fomo as soon as someone started to put money into a startup like crap i should run this one Hmm. and so in some ways the market is going to be a bit different in like working out how to be an intelligent investor because you need to invest quickly but you also not need to invest stupidly by being quick Which are a few things that I guess he's hasn't quite accounted for in this in the long run. But as a general principle, I think seventy percent of this book I think is always going to work out in terms of like just the maths of how many people startups you approach and what levels of like your personal finances you wanna put into it and just general risk appetite and how to like follow on invest and the demands you should be making and how to screen the founders. I think most of this book is pretty golden. And we'd still work in many years' time, assuming that startups still exist. hundred years' time, okay, the whole world could be completely different because we'd face like an AI revolution and maybe politics gets completely changed and we're just one giant communist state. I don't know. <laughs> 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 that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: But, but then we have bigger problems yeah. than uh, not being yeah, able to yeah, angel yeah, exactly. Invest. What kind of people would you recommend this book to? Or in general, like, who would you recommend angel investing to?
1: I'd recommend it to obviously anyone in his profile is like okay you've been a founder you've got like a few million in the bank now 100 percent. Mm. i think it's a great way to give back to the community and help fund it and also grow your revenue and you kind of have fun if you're into that although some people get a bit bored of talking to founders and stuff so it's a bit hard for me because i i really enjoy it which is why i found myself doing it anyway i'm not sure i'd necessarily recommend the complete Split of like your personal wealth to go into it for like normal people, but I definitely think what well, I mean of this entire series that we're doing around investing is like just having a normal job isn't the best way of making money, and like investments is, and finding ways to have more money available to then invest it into things is great. And if you play around with this for five or six years without that much capital, like I literally it was only until in the last two years that I wrote checks of five grand last year and the year before that so that's why I've got thirty grand invested, not twenty grand. So basically as far as crowd investing gone, I've invested twenty grand. I think most people over like a five, six year time horizon could afford somewhere in like the five to twenty grand amount of investment if they've got a stable job and they're making savings and things. And that can turn into a lot of money as I've I've managed to do myself without putting as much time as he's mentioned into it. And um I think it's a great way for people to learn stuff. You didn't necessarily expect to get that great returns, but um, as a long-term horizon, it would be a great way of learning more about startups and being able to like multiply your money in a way that you can't get from any bank that you go and put your savings into. So anyone below the age of 50, basically, should try it. <laughs> because once you get to like, 50, 60, you, you want to have your money available in case there's some kind of health crisis or... Um, stuff and you just want to have like reliable pension and money coming back at you which this is not
0: Hmm. interesting i I think i I don't really agree i think um in the end one of the things i that bothered me about this book is that and again we've already talked about this in in scheme of investing and general entrepreneurship as well the more people who try and do something the less the returns will be yeah And so the interesting thing is like writing a book about angel investing is going to get more people angel investing, which will result in him like being let or at least getting fewer returns because the more angel investors there are, the higher valuations go up because there's more demand to invest in the good projects, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so in general, I think angel investing is honestly, I would only recommend it to people who are really into, you know, who are first super curious and are willing to spend a lot of time. And so in general, I think like if you want to actively invest and which means that you would actively manage investments instead of just investing in like a global tracker ETF. I would probably say like you have to do it one because you really enjoy it. You're curious but also because you're going to be like this is your edge. And So in general with investments I think like everyone should find their edge and if your edge is like I understand technology and I can assess the quality of people pretty fast I think then angel investing is for you but in general I think uh in my opinion I don't know that many people like I know you and um, mm. I might know a few others who this might be something for but I think this is uh still um uh, like a niche niche hobby kind of thing yeah. and I don't think a lot of people will be super successful with this
1: yeah I think um maybe for crowd investing it's it's not that bad a thing to maybe put like 50 quid into sort of like monzo or like mm. something that you really like when it's coming on board um, but perhaps going more in depth is is not such a good good idea. And yeah, working out what you what you do enjoy and your strengths and such. So, yeah. in terms of just being able to make more money, then it might be easier to just become like a limited partner, which you can do quite cheaply with some investment funds that kind of play the game that basically the angel game. But um, they'll invest in companies for you, and you'll expect like a two to five x return on your money, and it'll take like five years. And yeah, that might be an, a less time intensive way to get the same kind of returns mm. without taking up any time. Whereas I guess for me, I almost don't feel of it, think of it as work because I just mm. love talking to founders and like, it's just what I'm doing anyway. And so the extra work on top is just working out how much money I need to put into them and like a bit of admin of like what my shares are in different places. Mm. And that's like not that much time. So I don't really notice it and like i love coaching people i love seeing potential and things and i've always loved like trend spotting and stuff so it kind of just naturally fits into what i like doing and like whereas for you you love cryptocurrencies and getting deep into that stuff and so you've been um, epically good at investing in that area for the last uh years so
0: um i don't don't know about that but i think in general like that's where i consider my edge yeah yeah in relative terms right
1: and like as in with Bitcraft, as and you've been watching people play games and esports and stuff for so yeah. many years that's true and i remember like when we were doing our debut camp together i'd see you watching things like <laughs> over lunch i'm like what the hell are you doing you're watching people play a computer game <laughs> i mean who does that
0: <laughs> you like, this esports is really cool
1: sam and i'm like right <laughs>
0: sure sure nerd yeah 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 cool all right um you wanna you wanna go over um, ratings? Mm.
1: Yeah, it's because it's a difficult one. Because as in for me, it's like okay, this was actually super useful to mm-hmm. formalise a bit more my strategy of see the parallels with the things that I am doing and like the stuff I could be doing to make it much better. So I'd say it's like a probably like a nine for me, mm-hmm. and so that makes me think it's maybe like an eight for normal people. But then actually considering the fact that most people don't like risk. Most people don't have the time to um, talk to lots of startups and aren't really in the startup game and are a bit baffled by like the term ETF, let alone all the kind of TAM, SAM, SOM details that you have when you're investing in startups. Uh, maybe it's more like a six and um, just like an interesting story. And you'll probably hear about how people can make lots of money and get a bit of FOMO, but then like not make a good job of it. So maybe we shouldn't read it at all. <laughs> I'm now confused. I'm going to go in between those two and say 7.5. All
0: right. So for me, I think it's I think it's a good introductory book to like the math of angel investing, right? That gives mm. you an idea of, okay, you know, angel investing is not you find one company that you love and you put all your money in, right? And angel investing is you spread it out. And if you do a better than average job, then you will have better than average returns. But I think it's it's like an introductory book. And I don't think this book gives enough insights in, you know, how to choose the right projects to invest in. And so, as I said, so this is a good book to start. And then I think there's are other better books to help identify, you know, the founders and the companies to start actually choosing to angel invest in. And for that, again, this is very niche. And so for me in general, I actually, I, I know like a handful of people that I would recommend this book to. And yeah, I guess, yeah. I think it was okay. It was a nice read, like an easy read. It was yeah. not too in-depth. So I'm going to give it some bonus points for that. So I'm going to give it a like a five. Easy read. I don't think it's very Lindy in a way. I think Mm. like him saying like, ah, you have to be in Silicon. Like, you know what bothers me? The fact that he puts the word timeless on the front cover of this book. I really don't like that because I think like, first of all, as you said, I mean, the the Silicon Valley thing, so true 10 years ago, less true now, probably even less true in five years. Also, a lot of companies are now like with the emergence of crypto and a lot of like projects in that space. They're now like issuing tokens, you know, these kind of things. Yeah, it's definitely changing. Exactly, all of that is changing. So that's why I'm, I'm being, you know, <laughs> I'm being petty and I'm, I'm yeah, just yeah. giving I, a lower score because he, he like called, called the meta cameras. principles
1: of the maths and stuff. But then, like some of the other details, where it's like this is really important. You're like, yeah, but no, <laughs> okay.
0: But I mean, who am I, right? This guy. I mean, he he's been successful, but I feel like yeah. he's he's riding the oh, I invested in Uber as an angel wave a little mm. bit uh, a little bit much. But yeah, anyway, it was a, it was a nice read for which. Uh, so I'll give it a five. Cool. um All right, anything like last things to add to this? I guess that's a no. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's so
1: another about like because he talks about like accelerators a little bit and stuff. I don't know any other top tips that you maybe have on annual investing, so I would certainly say try and read a lot of pitch decks and yeah go to like demo days and these kind of things. And,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And Absolutely. I think like, like yeah, spending the first year just sort of rating who you think you'd invest in and like doing it more like hypothetically speaking and seeing mm. how your bets pay off is quite interesting.
0: And, it's like uh, a like a fake stock portfolio.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I found it very hard to really, like, pay attention to, probably because my ADHD were claiming <laughs> these things. But if I had, like, a bit of money in it, it just means I pay attention a lot more. And yeah. um, it was nice. It basically, my bets were, like, okay, if I put a bit more money into it, I definitely felt very strongly about it. If I put less mm-hmm. money into it, I didn't feel so strongly about it. And it seems to have shown that I kind of I, made the right bets so far. Or you, or you were lucky. <laughs> yeah, or I'm just super lucky and I'm just lying to myself on, on these things.
0: Yeah. All right, cool. Um, That's it for this episode. For the next episode, Sam and I are reading The Education of a Value Investor written by Guy Speer. It's a really nice book. I recommend reading it. I've already read it. I'm going to reread it for now. But It's a good book. So yeah, with that, let's round up the episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what we did, feel free to give us a rating. If you have any suggestions, you can reach out on Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever we hang out or you hang out. If you're a starter
1: raising money, then like... Give give
0: Sam a call. If he likes you a bit, he'll give you a check. Maybe not a lot, but uh, (laughs) that's what he does. Cool. All right. With that, uh, we're out and we hope to speak to you in the next episode. Cheers. Ciao. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard, feel free to give us a rating and share with your friends. If you'd like to ask us a question or give us a comment, feel free to join us on Reason. Reason is Sam's startup that is building a social podcasting app. It is a place where Sam and I listen to podcasts and share ideas and insights. It'd be great if you would hang out with us there. Thanks again and speak to you in the next episode. Cheers.